0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. Um, if you are one of our guests, I want to welcome you to Conroe Bible Church. We're glad that you're with us. And um, if you'd like to get involved or learn more about us, you can do that by coming and speaking to me or Dave or Matt. Um, also, uh, also you can check our website, conroebible.org, to learn a lot about us and, and the things that are going on. But I have um, just a couple of quick announcements for things that are... are uh, one of them is time sensitive. Is in a in a just under two weeks, our women are putting together a uh, our women are doing a hearts to serve event in which they're doing many things. One of which is they're putting together uh, teacher packets for our friends at Parmley Elementary, and so. We have sent out emails with the list of supplies that, that uh, they've request the women have requested for that. And if you, if you would like to participate, you've got just under two weeks to, to get those things up here to the church. You can just bring them up to the office during the week. Um, and if you have questions, feel free to come and grab me and I will point you in the right direction. Also, if you are a, a woman interested in a women's retreat... This is your Save the Date Heads Up. It's going to be October 8th through the 10th. Um, Information is coming out soon about it um, to let you know when and how you can sign up um, and the details of of what the retreat is going to entail. So save the date if that's something you're interested in. And then also our men are starting up a a Bible study. They normally meet on Thursday evenings at 6 um, and they're getting ready to start a new study on prayer. And if you are, uh, um, you've are got Thursday nights open and you're a man, you qualify. So you can sign up for that on the website or through Church Center, either one. Okay, we're going to begin our service um, together in worship reading a passage from Psalm 44. So you guys stand up with us. This is kind of a long passage. I can't even see it back there. I'm going to turn around. We're going to try to read this together, which... Which this is so long, and I'm turning around, it means you guys are going to have to put a lot a lot of energy into this. Okay? So let's read this together from Psalm 44. You are my king, O oh God. Command victories for Jacob. Through you we will push back our adversary. Through your name we will trample down those who rise up against us. For I will not trust in
1: my will. Oh in our sorrow you have saved us from our years light shines i sure.
0: Father, we love you today. We thank you for the grace that we find in Jesus, your son. We pray this morning that you would be near to us, that you would teach us through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. If you're one of our kids, K-5, through you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. And if you're a guest, feel free to go with your kiddos and get them checked in, and then you can come back and join us.
2: I want to remind you that um, last week I announced that uh, we have invited Mike Young to be part of the elder board. We put that out for two weeks of feedback. And I appreciate a a good friend, close friend, who uh, said, Dave, I appreciate you doing your constitutional duty, but uh, you whiffed on it. Uh, you didn't tell us anything about Mike for those of us that don't know Mike and aren't part of uh, his communities or anything else so I want to tell you a couple of things that excite me uh, about Mike so that you can get a better picture if you have not yet had the privilege of uh, being with him Uh, Mike is married to Jennifer And they have uh, two children, Lindsay, who's currently in Spain. I hope you're praying for her along with Danielle Vanderkay. We sent them off back at the beginning of uh, June. And then um, Caleb is a senior at uh, Covenant Christian School over here. Uh, The first time that uh, I was introduced to Mike side-by-side was when we were mucking out uh, Jeff and Alan Schultz's house After Hurricane Harvey, uh, we spent a couple of days over there and and then uh, working with other crews as well, and uh, Mike brought his uh, kids over there to help uh, take care of all the mess that things had been uh, created, and I appreciated uh, that kind of servant's heart. Um, Mike came to Christ in high school and uh, then had a a strong spiritual foundation developed at uh, Cedarville university. Strong Christian university that uh, I've had uh, uh, interaction with uh, for a lot of years. Uh, and uh, we've had uh, uh, other people come through here. Our youth pastor, Stephen Kreitzer, was a graduate of Cedarville. And currently we have Peter and uh, Brittany Hochstetter as uh, representatives of uh, Cedarville as well. Uh, very strong school, uh, biblically and academically, and uh, helped uh, continue to form uh, Mike. He and Jennifer have a heart for discipleship and for uh, people, a a real empathy. Uh, I can think of on two occasions, people in dire need in the church family, they ferreted it out and stepped in to start meeting the need, made the leadership aware, and they became major projects where we helped uh... people out who um, were out of work and uh... in in great need um, and i like that and then you may know uh, mike through the initiation of our parmley ministry uh... mike's been up here a couple of times to explain it uh... he's he's uh, initiated everything there with dr moore he and jennifer under matt's uh, direction and um, has created a lot of ministry ideas there. And then one last uh, thing that I like is uh, his kingdom orientation at work. Mike runs a construction uh, firm and uh, seeks to run it with uh, values that are biblical, even though all the employees are not believers or followers of Jesus. And uh, they as well down there have uh, adopted a school, and uh, the employees have bought into serving that school as well down in Houston. They're allowed to do a lot more down there than we are up here so far with uh, Parmley. So I hope that gives you a little bit of a snapshot of uh, Mike and Jennifer Young. And and again, uh, we continue to uh, welcome feedback. As I said uh, last week, and appreciate uh, those that did uh, contact by email, text, and, and phone call. Hey, a gentleman come with his wife to church one time, and uh, this a quite a few years back and uh, she had been hoping that he would come with her he was a a follower of jesus a a believer in christ and um he stopped me in the hall after church and and uh he was a a rather accusatory and he said uh, you preachers practice a lot of bait and switch and so i replied "Uh, what do you mean and, uh, he said that you tell people about Jesus and you, uh, lead them to Christ. And, um, and, and then you don't tell us about the other half of the story that the life is still going to be difficult. And, um, he said, I, I walked the aisle a, a number of years ago. I responded to an altar call. I trusted Christ with my life and, uh, my life didn't get any better. And, uh, and I wish you guys would be honest before you give the uh, gospel invitation. So I tried to, to explain briefly that, and, and that didn't work. So I just said, obviously, I wasn't involved, but um, I'm sorry to hear that because life is hard. And sometimes Jesus brings healing to issues, and sometimes he uh, removes issues from our lives immediately. And then sometimes he just walks with us through the suffering. Uh, but we would love to have you here uh, where we can share the love of God with you and encourage you in your process and help you rely on God's resources with whatever you're going through. I so said, let's get together. We well, he didn't want to get together and actually, honestly, only visited uh, church a couple more times, even though his wife uh, continued to participate in the church family. Uh, I, I was very saddened. Uh, by that. I hate to see that type of approach to life and that type of view about what Christ is going to do in our lives. And most of all, I hate to see uh, ignorance of what Christ offers to him and to all of us in the difficulties and the hardships of life, because life is difficult. That's that's the reality, right? We all face issues, we all face uh, problems, and we can understand that uh, living in a fallen world is extremely difficult. And then on top of all that and behind all of that and through all of that, we have an adversary, Satan himself, who wants nothing more than to distract us from our devotion to the Lord's so that we can experience his power and his strength. And he wants to discourage us, and he wants to defeat us, and he wants ultimately to destroy us. And to be honest, he really doesn't care about us. He just wants to do anything he can to get back at God by going after God's people. And so it's very true and honest and real that we face hardships. And a lot of them are because we are engaged in spiritual warfare. I am in conflict daily. You are in conflict daily. Again, we we would love the idea to be that we come to Christ and then it's just sort of like, you know, we're playing in this high mountain meadow with wildflowers the rest of our life but it's not sometimes it is we experience his love and his joy and peace in in great measure and we're part of the community of believers the church family and then sometimes it's not sometimes we're just in a battle because we live in a war zone satan is desirous of attacking us every day and he is not omnipresent He can only be one place at a time, but he does have his minions and he's got demons and he's got those that he's organized so that he can go after people throughout the world. We're going to start a series, a sermon series today, an eight week series on Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 20. Because the reality is, again, that every day, every moment of every day, there are things going on in the unseen world that we don't know about. And I'm not talking about what you can see in the paranormal shows on Discovery Channel. I'm talking about what Paul talks about here in Ephesians chapter six, the last part of his letter to Ephesus. And he talks about spiritual warfare and the battle zone that we live in today. The New Testament book of Ephesians breaks down very nicely, six chapters. The first three are the wealth of the believer, what we possess in Christ Jesus, all of our spiritual riches. And it's just an incredible read. I, I challenge you to read chapter one, verses one through 14 this week and, and just find rest and comfort, security, significance, strength, by meditating on what God has done in your life if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the wealth. That's the first three chapters. The next three chapters, chapters four through six, talk about the walk. In fact, he uses that term several times, five or six times. He says, walk worthy of the Lord who called you into his kingdom. And, And of course, you know that walk in the New Testament refers to an overall lifestyle, how we carry ourselves, how we respond to Jesus Christ in this fallen world, and how he empowers us as we live by faith. In Jesus Christ. So we've got these two chapters. We've got the wealth and the walk and, and some scholars, to be honest, would separate that this last section here that we're going to look at in chapter six. And just because there's another W they'd say warfare. So you would have wealth walk and warfare. I think it still fits under the walk. This is our lifestyle. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to motivate us to keep walking with Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to hear all these ways that we should walk and and to experience and inherit all this wealth of spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus, and then have it all dissipate because we didn't realize life is tough and we're constantly under spiritual attack. Now, he wants us to be immovable in Christ against Satan's attacks. He wants us to be able to stand up and stand firm against Satan himself. He wants us to be immovable, not in our own strength and with our own giftings and our own education and intelligence and our own strategies, he wants us to do that in the strength of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're going to look at today. As we start the first section of this, we're going to be in chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And we'll see three things here. We're going to see what he wants, he wants us to stand firm. We're going to see how to do it, dress in the spiritual armor of God. And then why? Because there's this spiritual warfare going on. So I hope you'll dive in with me to to Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And what we're going to do first is just read this passage. I'm going to read it out loud. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. And this is what Paul says. He starts with finally. And so he's wrapping up his letter to Ephesus. He's going to get some personal stuff at the very end. But here's the last section. Finally, and what he's going to do is motivate us as believers to stand against the devil and his schemes. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Obviously, Paul uses that word stand or stand firm four different times. Spiritual warfare is very important, and and Paul is just opening the door to it. He's, He's introducing us to what he's going to do, and in the coming weeks, we will look at each piece of the full armor of God that you're aware of, and we'll look at some of the tactics of Satan and some of his titles and characteristics as he goes on the attack and how those pieces of the armor allow us to stand firm in the strength of the Lord. Today, the passage informs us that our role is to stand. We're to hold to the ground, which Jesus has won for us. We're not out there to win more land, to advance against Satan, to defeat Satan. No, he is defeated by Jesus Christ. So we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. And that's a good place to be, a confident place to be. So we'll get the answers to what, how, and why. Let's look at the what in chapter 6, verse 10. We are to be empowered by the strength of Jesus Christ. Be empowered by the strength of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the source of our strength. He possesses that inherent strength that is unlimited and all powerful. We know it best through the power of his resurrection. And that comes up in chapter 1 for Paul in a prayer comes up again in a prayer in chapter 3 for Paul. We know the power of Christ that is inherent in God's power through the raising of Christ from the dead. We're to be empowered by that strength. So this is what he says in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's interesting that each one of those three words having to do with power or strength are different. Now, I love it when Paul does that because he comes at it from different angles. He's allowing us to see a more complete picture of what he's getting at, and he's speaking uh, incredibly strongly here about the power of Jesus Christ. The might refers to the inherent strength of the Lord in this translation. The strength throughout the New Testament always refers to supernatural power. And then to be strong, that's a word that means to be made capable. And it's in the passive voice. So even though it comes across as a command, it is a command, be strong. He's not telling us to gather up our loins and hold our breath and tense our muscles and let the adrenaline run so that we can be strong and accomplish what God wants us to do. He's he's saying, uh, I want you to tap into all this power that Jesus Christ has inherently for you. That gives us great confidence as we follow Jesus Christ. This word and in this particular uh, translation uh, is used more as an explanatory uh, word here. And so you could easily replace that with that is. And so you could read it this way. Finally, be strong in the Lord, that is, in the strength of his might. When we are strong, we are appropriating his strength, not ours. I like that he says that in the passive voice because we can presume that God is eager and willing to give us his strength. We can assume that if we don't receive it and operate out of it, it's out of our neglect, not out of his willingness or his refusal. His words also assume that we need strength on a daily basis in temptation and against sin. We must receive his strength to stand against Satan. And we must realize that, that the power is not for doing impressive deeds. It's not to draw attention to ourselves. It is for living obediently to Jesus Christ. It is facing up to temptation and, and, and saying, no, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm not gonna give in. to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Power allows us to stand that way. And then one final thing, it's to be a continual empowering. It's a relational empowering as we stay in contact with Jesus Christ as we stay reliant upon him, as we are dependent upon Jesus Christ, because, again, that is where our power comes from. And so we do that through obedience to his word, through guidance from his word, through prayer, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be assured that we will be strengthened. And I want to take you back to Paul's prayer there in chapter 1. Verses 18 to 20, he says this, I pray that you will know what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Paul prayed there that we would know the power of Jesus Christ. He did that long before he got into the subject of spiritual warfare. And so I don't know if you ever pray the prayers of Scripture, but that's a beautiful one to pray. Chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Paul found himself praying to know the power of Jesus Christ in his resurrection. He says that in Philippians 3. Here he's praying that those believers in Ephesus will experience the power of Jesus Christ. And he doesn't leave it vague. He says it's that power that belongs to God, which raised Jesus Christ from the dead which showed him to be victorious over sin and death and Satan. Attacks from Satan are incessant in this life and they will continue to be so until Jesus Christ returns to judge him. We must stand defensively against the onslaughts of the devil and we can do that by receiving power of Jesus Christ. Finally be strong in the Lord, that is in the strength of his might. That's verse 10, verse 11, at the start, we're told how to dress for spiritual battle, or how to stand, excuse me, dress for spiritual battle. The reference to the full armor here in extra biblical sources typically referred to the foot soldier. And I have no doubt that even Paul is, though Paul is writing this letter under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that he looks over and sees this Roman soldier who is guarding him presently in prison and then just begins to tick off the different pieces of his armor, the different defensive pieces that he is using to protect himself or would if he was to go into conflict in and war. And, and, and the Lord has Paul use that as an, an analogy. And so he takes us from the what to the how here. The how is to put on the full armor of God. And that's what he says in verse 11. We're just going to take that first phrase here. Put on the full armor of God. Put on literally means to clothe yourself with. So it's a beautiful word picture of clothing yourself, putting on these pieces of armor so that you are ready and prepared to face the day so that you are ready in the strength of the Lord to stand in his might and to stand firm, not to give up what you have gained in Christ. Paul uses the word full armor when he says that twice in verses 10 through 13 here. And what he's telling us there is that we don't want to be people who just are partial in relying on God and using the pieces of the armor that he has given us. We don't want, some, we, we don't want to go into combat uh, with our shield, but without our helmet, or we don't want to go into combat with our helmet, but not having our belt to hold everything together. We want to be people who go in fully covered with the armor of God. And it's interesting to me, As I was thinking about this, when you think about the pieces of the armor of God that you may not gravitate toward, or maybe you don't think you need as much as we look at them in the coming weeks, uh, that may be an issue of pride, and certainly that happens to all of us. uh, But it may be an issue where you think, hey, I've got that covered because that's an area of strength for me whether it's righteousness or truth or gospel of peace, whatever it is. And, and uh, you might just say, well, it's an area of strength. And yet, when we look throughout Scripture, we see men and women of God, great men and women of God, uh, often fall in their area of great strength, right? Abraham was known as a man of faith, and yet he was scared of the king, and so he lied. He didn't trust God at that uh, moment. Uh, Moses was known as a great meek man, the meekest man to ever live. And what is that? That is a controlled strength. But he's also known for getting angry and hitting a rock and not being allowed to go into the promised land. David, a man after God's own heart, a man of integrity, was a man who was responsible for murders and for adultery. Peter. A man of great courage, willing to jump out of the boat and walk on the water. Also, denied Christ. I want to plant that seed so that as we go through this series, that we take God's word seriously. And we look at it and say, what do I need out of this, Lord? That we don't ever get so arrogant and proud and think we've got that all whipped up. That's good. We're taken care of that way. We want to stay reliant upon the Lord. Paul told us what we must do. We must be immovable in Christ. And he told us how to do it. Dress for the spiritual battle battle with the full armor of God. I'm not going to read the the full armor. You can do that in verses 14 to 17. Or you can stick with us through the uh, sermon series to come. Uh, And then we get the why. Why must we put on this full armor? Why must we dress for the battle? Verses 11, the, the end of 11 and verse 12. And the why is this that we must stand firm against our spiritual adversary because we're in a spiritual battle. When we read these verses, you'll realize that it is supernatural. It's not human. You'll realize that it is personal, that the attacks on me are not the same as the attacks on you or the attacks on you. Now, there may be many that converge and are similar, but Satan has had a few thousand years to study the human race to understand us and and to understand each individual and what sets us off. And, And so it's a struggle that becomes personal. The purpose of putting on the armor of God in this spiritual battle is that we might stand firm against the devil, Satan himself, stand firm in the Lord's strength. Because as Jesus said, Satan has come. He is the thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Most complete and concise description of Satan. To steal, kill, and destroy. So remember, as we look at this reason why we should stand firm because of our spiritual adversary, Paul is in this section where he's motivating us to stand firm. He's motivating us to be prepared for spiritual warfare. And so he's gonna do a couple of things. He's gonna remind us to to stand. He's gonna remind us to know the enemy and to know his schemes. This is what we read in verses 11 and 12. So that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Believers are to stand. We are not to advance or to take new ground. We are to hold the ground that Jesus has won. And this is a good time to note that Jesus and Satan are not equal. There isn't this cosmic battle out there between evil and good to see who will win. Satan Satan is already defeated because Jesus has already conquered him at the cross. He is a defeated foe. And as you study scripture, you realize that God has permitted him to continue to have reign. In fact, he's called the ruler of this world, right? John 12. He's called the prince of the power of this air. He's called the God of this age. We know that he orchestrates the world system that is opposed to Jesus Christ, that would set up a counterfeit kingdom, independent of God, finding Jesus Christ unnecessary. To his kingdom and he makes it extremely attractive for us we fight from victory not for victory Satan is powerful but he is not omnipotent Jesus is Satan is wise and he is experienced but he is not omniscient Jesus is we could keep going down Satan is a created being and as such he is responsible to his creator he doesn't do anything without god's permission and he doesn't do anything that ultimately does not promote god's plan as much as he would like to be independent and set up his own kingdom he cannot so we are to stand against him it's a defensive posture to hold the ground that God has given us all of the spiritual blessings in Jesus Christ. We are not to give up on those. We're not to move backward in our own life. Whatever bit of maturity that God has worked into your life, whatever bit of Christ likeness that God has worked into your life. We don't want to say, Hey, I checked that off the box. I'm more loving toward people. Now I've experienced joy. I was peaceful last winter. We don't want to do that. We want to be people that are continually relying on the Lord to live out of his strength. And we want to be a people that are able to stand firm in his strength. And we want to be a people that stand firm and don't give up ground. We don't lose what has been gained in Christ Jesus. Because remember, we are to cooperate in our walk with Jesus Christ. We're to cooperate in our obedience to the Holy Spirit, and he continues to transform us from the inside out. Well, Satan's desire is to distract us through deception. His goal is to distract us from pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. Consider how simple that is. Now, we're going to look at some other characteristics and tactics and strategy of of, uh, Satan, but that one just always rocks my boat from 2 Corinthians 11.3. Because all Paul says is, I don't want you to be distracted by Satan from pure and simple devotion to Jesus Christ. To me, that's as simple as it could get. You know, certainly some people are murderers and some people have extreme habits and some people are completely confused and lost. We have lots of extremes in our culture. When Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 11, he just says from simple devotion to Jesus Christ. That's all Satan wants to do. He just wants to bump you off the trail. He he wants you to turn you around a little bit and and get you confused because once he does that, then you're not appropriating the strength and the riches in Christ that you possess. And you're not living out of strength in Christ. I I think how easy it is to distract (laughs) Flat tires, financial hiccups, relational conflict. There are so many things that can pull us away from Jesus Christ, and that's Satan's desire. If he's going to steal, kill, and destroy, he's going to go after our relationship with Jesus Christ to try and turn us from his power. Satan wins if he can simply distract us from our allegiance. So why is that a victory? for Satan, because if we are distracted from allegiance to Christ and we aren't appropriating what Jesus has given us, we're not living out of His power. We're more vulnerable to attack, we are more vulnerable in our own strength to failure that can be destructive and to sin. We are to stand firm in every spiritual blessing that Christ has blessed us with. The emphatic word here that is repeated four times is stand. Take that defensive stance. And then in this section, as he gives us the why, because we face a spiritual adversary, he he tells us some about the enemy, he tells us some about his schemes here. And so I want us to look at the enemy a little bit. And again, remember knowing our enemy is further motivation to stand firm against him. We don't want to take anything for granted. As I said earlier, he's a real person, a real being with a personality, a created being. And that's why he's not on a level with God. As a creature, he's responsible to his creator. And we're told in 1 Timothy 3 that his sin was one of arrogance or pride. And and that was his sin. And I think we'll see that in a couple of Old Testament passages that are often interpreted to describe Satan's sin and fall are being cast out of heaven they are ezekiel 28 and isaiah 14. not everybody sees that or interprets that as being directly about satan they take it just strictly about a king a king of tyre or someone else i think that there is too much here that goes way beyond uh, just a human king and certainly no mere mortal uh, can be cast out of heaven So I take these two passages to directly or indirectly mention, uh, they don't directly mention Satan, but I think they uh, transcend what the earthly king can do and refer to Satan. I think they're useful that way. Ezekiel's oracle against Tyre elaborates on the picture of Satan and and his sin, uh, portraying a being who once resided in Eden, placed as an anointed cherub or guardian angel on the holy mountain of God. He was blameless until his spontaneous generation of sin. This is how Ezekiel put it in chapter eight, verses 15 and 16. He says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you and you sinned. I take that to be the sin of Satan. Later on in the passage, it's talks about sinning because of his beauty. And so again, I think the sin is pride there as we were told in 1 Timothy 3. In Isaiah 14, we get the language of a created uh, being fallen from heaven again. Verse 12 of Isaiah 14 says, "'How have you fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn?' This morning star is a reference, uh, or in the Latin is where we get the word Lucifer. uh, But it's also a reference to Christ in Revelation chapter 22, the morning star. And so I just take that as one more indication of Satan's desire to counterfeit things, to masquerade as an angel of light. Satan's plan, greatest plan, is to be independent of God, and we see that in Isaiah 14. I want to read through uh, five statements that are made in Isaiah 14. I take them to be made by Satan, and I take them to be escalating in terms of his pride and arrogance, stating his desire to be independent of God. I want you to look closely at his character. Because I think this is how he approaches us, and this is where he tries to tap in to our own self-centeredness. Chapter 14, verse 12, or verse 13. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. He's He's not saying here, I will be an angel, and I will go to heaven and serve and minister to God. He already had that kind of access. He's expressing his desire to go to heaven and occupy the throne of God. comes up again. Verse 13, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Stars could certainly be the heavenly uh, stars that we see each night. I take it here to mean angels based of how it's used in the book of Job. And so I see Satan saying here, I want to be over and have all authority over all angels. As the highest angel, he had delegated authority. But here he's stating, I want authority independent of anyone above me telling me what to do. Third statement, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. Here is Satan declaring that he wants to administrate the affairs of the universe. It was thought in that day that the Babylonian gods gathered together in the assembly and made those kinds of decisions. Isaiah uses it in the sense of trying to be above God who rules the universe. The language speaks of Satan's desire to rule independent of God. Number four, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds in verse 14. And here is Satan is essentially saying, I will take greater glory than God. When we look throughout the Old Testament, we see the cloud as quite often the visible presence of the glory of God. We see it as a manifestation of his glory being there. And so when Paul, or when a, Satan says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I think he is saying I will be above God and take greater glory. And then we get the finale, the climax. In the last statement, I will make myself like the most high. Here's the rebellion of Satan's heart, that he wants to self-assert himself in defiance toward God. His great desire... Is to be independent, out from under God's authority, to not be a creature that is responsible to his creator. His sin, which is made extremely evident here in Isaiah 14, is one of arrogance and pride. Sarah, and I believe Satan's arrogance and pride and desire to be independent of God is his greatest strategy toward us because most of us can identify somewhere within a bit of selfishness a bit of self-centeredness more or less a desire to be independent on our own right gwen and i homeschooled our kids and we live in texas and we consider those to be great, two great marks of independence. You know, we, we can make our own decisions and do our own things. It's easy to fall into that type of failure, wanting independence from God. We had a, our, our firstborn, when she was two, developed the habit of saying self she would walk around the house and anytime he tried to help her with something she would say self which was just so glaring um you know that this little person wants to be independent of us and so certainly that's a great thing right and on and, and things they can handle and things they can't we took her over here to candy cane park there was a little circus that came through and uh her love of her life uh is elephants uh, after bill of course but uh there was an elephant there and she was two years old. And so she and I climbed up, you know, the huge stage to get up there on top of the elephant. And I just assumed as the father and protector of my little daughter, there's no seat belts on this elephant, that I'm gonna ride with her, right? Well, that that was World War III right there. Uh, I was not getting on that elephant with her. It was gonna be her. And uh, since I had seen others go and I had seen what a, a very slow pace this was, I thought, okay, we'll let it happen. She wanted to be independent. Two years old, riding an elephant. We could have let her do that. We could have just said, okay, you be independent. But that would not have been healthy for her. She would not have lasted long as a two-year-old. She had no money. I would have started charging rent. She would have had to make her own meals. She couldn't have been independent, even though that every being, every bit of, every core within her, poor, excuse me, wanted to blurt out, I'm independent and I want to live on my own. Now, again, that can be a healthy thing if you channel it in the right way, but it could have been very destructive, very defeating, very discouraging for her if we just let her be independent at two years old. Well, I think that's a great image of us when Satan gets a hold of us and our self-centeredness begins to take over and we want to be independent. And that's why we can easily identify with different conflicts that come up in our lives and and different failures and even just the defeat when things come upon us that we had no choice about. So we got to be very careful that we are aware of Satan's modus operandi in his own life and his desire to change our lives. I like to think of his strategy this way, in changing our priorities and changing our perspective. I think he's got a lot of strategies. I shouldn't just say I like to think of it this way, but I like this way of thinking of it. He wants our priority to be self first, as opposed to honoring God and bringing glory to him. He wants our perspective to be the here and now. This is what I'm mired in. This is what I can handle. This is what I want to fight my way out of, instead of having an eternal perspective. Because once he gets, to, gets us down here in the weeds, then again, we're distracted. We're no longer reliant upon the power of Jesus Christ in our lives. And such independence robs God of the glory that he deserves. We need to orient our lives around Jesus Christ in order to stand firm, to be immovable in Christ against the attacks of Satan. He has a little conclusion in verse 13. He says this, therefore, take up the full armor of God. Based on everything I just told you, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. There's that term. James uses it, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist by standing strong in the strength of the Lord and having done everything to stand firm. May we experience the joy of learning to stand firm in the strength of our Lord's power. His power is inherent. and His power is resurrection power. That gives us great hope and great confidence in this daily battle that we face. I look forward to studying the pieces of the armor with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, which is living and dynamic. And thank you that you can go right to the intentions of our heart. We thank you that you are omniscient, that you know us, and and Satan doesn't even know what we're thinking. I thank you, Lord, that you have defeated him, and that you give us the grace to live out of your victory and your strength. And so we ask for confidence and strength and security to find our significance in you and not in this world, to be fully reliant and dependent on you that we might be immovable in you against the attacks of Satan. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Let's stand together. Thank hey. you.
1: try Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place. Do I walk through the wilderness? Blessed be your name. it should be, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name, on the road marked with suffering, though there's pain in the offering. Blessed be your name.
0: for being with us this week, today. Thank you for being with us today. Have a good week and, and a good day.